Well, the Rock Valley Bible Church in recent uh, months, years, actually it's been about a, a year and a half we've been going through the book of Acts. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, this would be the Sunday before Easter, we were in Acts chapter 23, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17, and um, it's the story of Paul coming into Athens, and then last week it was uh, Easter, um, and so this week we're scheduled to go into uh, Acts chapter 18 and, and seeing the planting of the church in Corinth, um, but before we proceed to that chapter, what I want to do is just, just take, a, take a week off. And uh, if, if you will, just kind of we had Easter, and so just take another week before we get into Acts chapter 18, and want us to, to pause. Want us to pause because of one phrase in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was preaching to the intellectuals, and this is when he arrived in the city. It's found in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Paul first enters the city, and we read this, that while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw, the city was full of idols. And so I just thought it would be appropriate for us even this morning to think about idolatry for a bit, um, because it's easy to think that our society is so different than that uh, of Athens, uh, especially the, the culture of Athens. After all, we don't have religious shrines on our streets. We don't have idols lining the countryside as, as Athens did. Um, in fact, in most of our homes in America, we don't have Buddha statues, although if you go to uh, an Asian restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, you might find a, a fat Buddha there, I think, trying to urge you to gorge on their food and spend a lot of money on their food as well, I'm not sure. But these things are, are prevalent in other lands, right? We, we tend to think that these things are only the sort of things that happen in, in third, country, third world countries. And, and so I've been to India and Nepal on a and a handful of occasions, and uh, indeed, there are idols all around. Um, in fact, here's some pictures that I took. Um, both these are in uh, Kathmandu. Uh, the one on the left is a, is a Buddhist uh, temple, and the one on the right is a Hindu temple, and you just see the people just pouring out there, and they're just coming in and offering their sacrifices. And then it's, uh, in fact, even this day was, I think, is some sort of fertility sacrifice, and they're bringing milk, and even milk is is streaming down, you can kind of see it, they're streaming down there into the river. You don't have to, to go far, in fact, in uh, India and Nepal to see these types of, of imageries. They're, they're on the streets, they're outside of homes, they're in the public squares. They are really, literally everywhere. Um, and I suppose, in many ways, that's what Athens was like. Uh, as Paul walked into the city, he saw these shrines and objects of worship all over the place. I told you two weeks ago that William Barclay in his commentary said that it was uh, easier to meet a god in Athens than a man, just speaking about how prevalent their, their idols were, just being this religious place full of idols. And Paul's heart was provoked to see the false worship, stirred his heart to, to speak to those in Athens about the true God, about Jesus, raised from the dead, coming to judge those who don't believe in Him. And I thought we'd pause today because... I think one of our, our dangers this morning is to think that we are above Athens, right? Because we don't have such idols in our society today. I mean, look around. I don't see shrines. I don't see Buddha statues. We aren't guilty of idolatry. So we think. We think that in the 21st century we've come so far. But I want for us this morning to realize that, no, our, our country is full of idols. 
Oh, they, they may look different than the idols of the ancient world, not being overt for all to see, but they're there. In fact, I, I would argue perhaps even the idols in our land are more dangerous. I mean, think, think about the war in Ukraine. When you've got Russian tanks coming, you know that danger is there. And, and, and they may be powerful, and, and they may come and, and shoot, and you may run, but at least you're aware of the danger. That may be if you're living in India or Nepal or Africa. Certainly there's a lot of animistic things going on there. But it's, a, it's another thing when there are landmines that the Russian soldiers have left behind. You see out, you see the countryside. You see, eh, there's no danger there. Look, it's a nice field. I can walk through the field. And you thought all was well until you step on the mind and it blows off your leg. Similar to what idols are, are like this morning. And I would like to address just the issue of idolatry. You might see it in our society. You might see it in others and be able to discern. To, to think about the passage even that Darren read today, as silly as it was. About the, that we take one piece of wood and, and with half of it we, we burn and cook our food over it. And the other half we put it up and we worship it. And it but it, it can't walk or talk or speak, though it has ears. But as eyes, it, it can't do any of those things. But I want us to, to see that idols are alive and well in our society. Maybe not quite in the same way, but they are alive and well. That you might identify that in other people for the purpose of evangelism and speak against the idols like Paul spoke to Athens. But also that you might see it in your own souls. That you might be able to see and understand and discern that really the idols of your heart are, are what drives many of the sins that you struggle with today. And so this morning what I'd like to do is, is work through a passage in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 14. So I know that we don't go to Ezekiel often. In fact, this is the first sermon I think I've ever preached from the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14. And so page 701 in your, in your Bible in the chair in front of you, if you don't exactly know where, where that is. The title of my message this morning is simply Idols of the Heart. Because that's what we see in Ezekiel 14. We see, we see the people of Israel taking idols into their hearts. And, and God even using these idols metaphorically to speak about just the inner desires and passions of our hearts. And once you see this morning that the idolatry of Athens was plain and obvious to all. But there's an idea of this understanding, this idolatry in America that lies deep within all of our hearts. So let me read the text for you. It says in uh, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. Okay, so you've got to picture the scene now. we just got to set it up a little bit. Here's Ezekiel speaking about, speaking and writing. And he says he's sitting there, and he says these elders are coming, sitting before him. Now, Ezekiel was in Babylon at this time having been exiled from the, the nation of Judah, um, clear over to Babylon. Historically, this, this takes place after the northern kingdom had been destroyed by Assyria, and, and the southern kingdom was, was being destroyed by Babylon and being taken off into Babylon. Um, because they'd forgotten the Lord, strayed from Him, and, and beginning to experience God's judgment upon their lives. Now, some of these Jews have been taken to captive, and Ezekiel was one of them. He was a prophet called by the Lord. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 2. And, and Ezekiel was one who spoke for the Lord. 
And so as these elders came to speak with Ezekiel, on the the one hand, they may have been looking for a message from him. On the other hand, from verse 3, it sort of seems to indicate that these were representatives from the people to tell Ezekiel what to do. Because Ezekiel says, no, I don't don't need to listen to them. God speaks. And and they receive a message from the Lord. Here's the message that Ezekiel gave them. Verses 2 through 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken idols, taken their idols into their hearts and have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. That I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, thus, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. If the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike. That the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions. But that they may be my people and I may be their God declares the Lord God. Now the heart of of Ezekiel's message, God's message, if you will, to the elders of Israel had to do with their hearts, had to do with the, the hearts of the people of Israel and how in these hearts they had taken idols into them. How they needed to turn from these idols. And thus the title of the message this morning, Idols of the Heart. In fact, you can see that phrase on three separate occasions. It comes there in verse 3. Son of man, these men have taken idols into their hearts. In verse 4, we, we read about how God will deal with anyone who takes an idol into his heart. And in verse 7, we read how the people separate themselves. They strange themselves from the Lord and thereby taking his idols into his heart. Now, what I find most interesting about this passage is how God identifies idols. I mean, He doesn't identify them as external idols, what we typically think about as idols. What God commanded in the first and second commandment, right? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, do not make any idols. And I, I think the thrust of that argument, the thrust of that second commandment is physical idols, which are, which are true and real, and, and even Isaiah was mocking those sorts of physical idols. But, but that wasn't the idols we're, we're talking about here. It's not the idols of, of Athens, right? The idols you see and touch and bow down to. These here were, 
were idols in the heart, right? Symbolic of desires of the heart, but almost like it's a worship of the heart. In fact, I suspect that these elders who came to Ezekiel, right, they weren't worshiping idols of the land, is, is what I would really suspect. They were steeped enough in the Old Testament teaching to see the futility of idols. They were familiar with Isaiah 44. They were familiar with the folly of, of idols. So I doubt these people were actually worshiping the, the real idols. But, but God then takes this metaphor, if you will, and he describes the desires of the heart with, with idols. They, they were worshiping, though, the idols that were in their hearts. God was not unaware of these idols. In fact, that is my, my first point here this morning is, is this, is that God knows our idols. That comes in verses really 1 through 5. But, but look here in verse 3. Son of man, these men have taken idols into their hearts. And said, the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces, should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Am I going to give them a vision? They've taken idols into their hearts. See, when these men came to consult with Ezekiel, God knew what was in their hearts. He knew they had idols in their hearts. God knew their true gods, if you will, small g gods, and it wasn't the Lord. Rather, it was the desires of their heart, which was towards other gods, towards other things, and not towards the Lord. The Lord Lord had commanded Israel in the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And instead of worshiping the Lord with all of their heart and with all their souls and with all their might, They'd taken these idols into their hearts. That is, I think they'd taken other affections and and desires into their hearts, which really the Lord identifies as as idols. God knew all about them. God knew all about the idols in the hearts as these men came. You say, so what's what's an idol of the heart? And uh, really for a definition, I'll just give you a definition that I I mentioned two weeks ago from Brad Bigney's excellent book that speaks about idols of the heart. This is one of the reasons why I want to deliver this message. I know some of you have received that book and have begun to read that book and have been affected by just looking at your sin through this paradigm of really your sin is is stirred by the idolatry which is in your heart. And and Brad Bigney says this, he says, um, an idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. All right, let's all say that together, right? An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. One more time. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. Now, with that as a definition of idolatry, I I trust you see that's a pretty... Pretty big definition of what idols are. Um, you discover that almost anything in your lives could be an idol. You can make idols of your possessions, as your possessions might capture your hearts and your minds more than God. Or your, your house could be an idol. Or your car could be an idol. Or your phone could be an idol. That that you, you have which decreases right your, your love for the Lord. That should be you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. An idol is anything that really gets in the way of that. That, that you're focusing on the idol rather than upon the Lord. And if you think about it further, you can easily make the idol of people. 
famous people, rich people, people with more gifts and abilities than you do. Your spouse can even be an idol, right? When, when your heart and affections and desire is so much for your spouse and missing it for the Lord. Now, it's interesting when you think about these idols is oftentimes this, this good thing for a, a desire for a wife or a husband or can be a God thing for you because it's displacing where God should be in your own heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, what's interesting is, is you can make an idol of something that you don't even have. Just, just consider what, what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is, help me, idolatry. And, and, and so here even we see that in the New Testament even, idols aren't always Right, the, the, the statues that are bowed down in worship. But covetousness is identified as idolatry. It's something that, that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. And this verse, Colossians 3, verse 5, demonstrates that, 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 that idolatry isn't necessarily like these overt shrines that are worshipped. It can be something intensely internal, as is coveting. And so I think about America, coveting America. I mean, those things are almost synonymous. I mean, if anything that defines America, it is a covetousness. We love our materialism. Advertisers are all over the place trying to catch that covetous nature of our hearts that say, you need this, you need more. Right? You need this car. You need to drink this soda. You need to wear these clothes. Always wanting more is the drive of America, which drives us to work so hard, which drives us to be in a good financial situation so we can pursue all these things we love. Listen, just because we don't have religious shrines in America, we're, we're not free of idolatry. It's all around us. We're a nation of coveting people, always wanting more. And this coveting isn't merely a danger of non-believers out there in the world. It's, it's our hearts as well. To covet and to want and to desire. When we do that, that's idolatry. And that's an idol of the heart. And that's what we see here in Ezekiel 14. We see God identifying in the hearts of the people idols of the heart. Because He knows they're idols. And these idols were leading the people of Israel to sin. Look again at verse 3. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts, and here it is, and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. It's almost as if these idols are causing some sort of sin, this stumbling of iniquity, this stumbling block that's set before them, that they that they walk over that sin, that they walk into that sin. And we see that as well in, in verse 4. The man who takes idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face. And somehow these idols that, that God identified in the heart of these elders were causing them to sin. That's how idols work, right? You, you, don't, you can't have an idol um, apart from sin. There's no like righteous idol. It's just not going to be there. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the idols the ancient uh, Israelites actually were, what, what they found themselves in exile in Babylon. Maybe they had some sort of uh, idol of security 
They didn't like exile in an uncertainty of a life in exile. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, I mean, that's difficult. I mean, all the refugees coming out of Ukraine right now, it's going to be very difficult and uncertain. But maybe they desired security so much so that in Babylon, they're willing to follow some of the pagan practices just to keep the peace, just to find some security rather than worshiping the Lord. You know, maybe they weren't like Daniel, who when he was exiled into Babylon, he, he made some righteous stand, says, no, I'm not going to eat that food, right? Because I've got to worship the Lord because I've never eaten that food. I need to worship the Lord the right way. But maybe some people were compromising for the sake of security because they could have cost Daniel his life, staying true to the Lord. Or maybe their idols were prosperity. Here they were, poor in a foreign land, needing to make ends meet. And, um, you know, rather than worshiping the Lord on the Sabbath, as God had commanded those in Israel to do, they're out working and selling their wares, just trying to get ahead in some regards, pursuing the prosperity rather than the worship of the Lord. Maybe they skipped their Sabbath worship like they were told to do. Maybe their idols were other interests, right? Maybe they were more interested in, in hanging out in the marketplaces rather than hanging out with God in private devotion. We don't know, but whatever was it was the source of their sin came from their hearts and the result of their sin comes at the end of really a verse five is they're all estranged from me through their idols that is their idols right were either the cause or the result of um, estrangement from god and really that that's how it works when you're working with with idols is that idols will pull us away from god either we drift away from god into our idols or our idols will pull us away from God as well. Again, right? An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God, right? Anything that pulls us away from God is an idol. And, and so really the, the question this morning that I, I want to get at for us is really, are idols, do you have idols in your heart in other words, if you were one of the elders coming to seek counsel from the Lord, would he rebuke you and, and, and telling you that you have taken idols into your heart and I'm not going to give you a vision? Just some questions just about your own life. How do you spend your time? Time is the great revealer of our hearts. We spend our time doing the things that we want to do. What do you think about? Your thoughts are indicative of your minds, right? We think about those things that are most dear to us. Are those righteous thoughts or those idolatrous thoughts? Where do you go? Your your activities in life are, are guided by your affections. You do and you go where you most want to go and you do what you most want to do. Now, It's tricky here, all right, because there are many things in life that distract us from our direct devotion to the Lord, which aren't necessarily sin. Like, like, for instance, take our jobs. You who are are working, you you go to your job, and and while you're on your job, you have to think about your job. You have to spend your time there. Or if you're a student, you go to school, or whether it's school at home or whether it's school some other place, right? You need to think about school, (laughs) I mean, isn't that the point of school, is to think about your school? You have to go, or, or stay-at-home mom. If, if, if you stay at home, you still have, you have to spend your time working in your house, thinking about it. You think about the matters of your home. 
And though these things might distract you from your direct worship to the Lord, none of these things are necessarily idols. Because God knows and God understands that we are here upon the earth and given to work. And when Paul gives instructions to the bondservants how they ought to serve their master, listen to what he says. He says, Colossians 3, 22-24, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And and so when you go to work or or school or working in your home or wherever you are, and that's where your mind is and that's where you're focused on and that's what your activities are involved with, you can honor the Lord and you can rightly serve the Lord Christ in those things, and that is not wrong at all. But it, it's, it's sort of when those things are, are, are distorted that becomes the idol of the heart. right? Because your work can become an idol. And your financial gain can become your idol. Your grades of your student become, can become an idol. And that's where this good thing can actually become a God thing for you in your life. So these questions about your time and your thoughts, they're difficult, right? Because the way you spend your time can be an idol or it might not be an idol. So maybe another, uh, another way is, is this, is to say, what stirs you? What moves you? What most excites you? What, what do you really live for? What do you spend your time doing in your spare time? Like, like, what's the passion of your heart? The idols of the heart are really a, a synonym for the desires of your heart, but the bad desires of your heart. How do you spend your time? What is it, your heart? Now, again, again, it's, it's tricky because God has commanded us to rest. He's commanded us to seek enjoyment and vacation is right and good. Pursuing things you want to pursue are, are, are good. In fact, 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5 He's given us the good things in life for our enjoyment. First Timothy 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. You can have sanctified hobbies. You can have sanctified projects. You can have sanctified television shows, if you will, right? Doing it in the enjoyment of the creation that God has given. But yet all those things can be bad too. If they dominate you and they rule your life. And so even, maybe here's the best sort of question that that you can ask. is maybe this. What makes you angry when you cannot have it? I think that's the core of idolatry probably. It stirs your heart when you cannot have it. Or if you cannot get it, it stirs your heart because you cannot get it. Because anger is the great revealer of idols of the heart. Um... You know, say your idol is, is financial, and you, you want that, right? You're, you're angry when you don't get it, right? And so you work really hard in order, in order to get that. Or, or your fights and quarrels, as James says, is really good, right? He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant and you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. To use the imagery of uh, the idols of the heart, listen to James again, What causes you to fight and be angry? Is it not the idols of your heart? You desire to worship your idols, but when you cannot have them or when they're taken away from you, you get angry and fight to have your idols. You know, isn't that easy to see in a toddler? 
if a toddler there is playing nicely with his toy or whatever, and a big sis comes along and maybe takes the toy out of the toddler's hand, what happens? <laughs> you got it exactly right. There comes the crying and the, the protesting and the, the tears. Why? Because the toddler has made an idol of the little toy. And parents, I just encourage you, when you deal and discipline your children, deal with them on the idol level. Like, what is it that's, that's causing them to stir? You know, oftentimes, I remember this, this illustration, right? Two kids are fighting, and then mom and dad come in and try to say, well, why are they fighting? Well, what's it about? And, well, I had it first. No, you didn't. I had it first. Well, okay, so you say, okay, who had it first? This person had it first. So you come in with justice, and you say, well, whoever had it first gets to have it. They both had idols in their hearts. They both were desiring their toy. They both were fighting over it. So deal with the idols of their heart, of the covetousness of their little hearts. And it's easy to see in children, but it is so hard to see in ourselves. We may not cry and throw tantrums like little children do, though some husbands do that. In their homes, abusive husbands often will throw tantrums because they can intimidate their wives because of some idol, idol that they haven't been able to get. But what about you? What, what happens when your little toy is taken away? How do you respond? Here's a hint. If you respond in anger, ding, 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 idol, idol, whoop, 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 whoop. That should be going off in your mind. Maybe going off your spouse's mind. Just train yourselves. We think about idols. God knows her idols. And whatever stirs us to anger or passion or, or like lashing out, it's, it's, it's deep within you. And there's some idol in there. And realize you're not so far removed from Athens when you have an idol in your heart. So, church family, I, I would encourage you to, to fight the, the war of sin at the heart level, at the idol level, where your idols sit enthroned. Uh, again, I, I quote Brad Bigney because he's really good at this. He says, in this war against sin, you must not be satisfied to simply stop at sinning. As you work with your kids, with yourself, with your spouse, identifying your heart idols can help you to understand why you become so irritable and why you raise your voice. Identifying the idols of your heart is, is when the tide starts to turn. See, it's not enough to memorize some verses about anger and self-control. That's merely the symptoms. But it says, go after the heart. There are heart issues behind all that anger. Anger, irritability, and verbal outbursts are indicative of heart issues gone awry. And when you react to someone else, what is it that you are protecting what is it that you must have? Our sin can be traced back to our idols every time. And that, it can be traced back there because idols are really merely a metaphor for the, the passions and desires of our heart. That that's really on the throne of worshiping rather than loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? We're, we're finding these other things that we're loving in our hearts that's then bursting out in our actions so as you sin, I just encourage you to battle the, the sin beneath the sin, if you will. The, the heart sin that's causing the external sin. 
and, and realize that just verses of the Bible you memorize, you think you're going to help. That's not going to help you ultimately. Yeah, it's good you memorize verses of the Bible, but more is to deal with your, your heart of causing those things. Right? If, you're, if you're lacking peace, maybe there's some sort of idol in there that, 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 that Longer has to have something. Or if you're lacking self-control, like, like maybe you've, you've made some sort of idol of food perhaps. Maybe, maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's my problem. Having an idol of food that loses self-control that just you, you eat, I'm not sure. I just encourage you married folks, whatever fight and quarrel you have, just ask. Next time you and your spouse have some sort of conflict, maybe just stop that and go, you know what, what's, what's the root cause? What, what's, what's my idol? What's your idol? And try to figure that out. Right? And even ask your spouse. If your spouse asks you. Because it's tricky, right? Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, Every man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. And we may not be able to see it in ourselves, but someone else, especially as close to your spouse, can probably see it in you. Because we'll quickly justify our own actions. We'll quickly say that the idols of our heart are not, not really idols. And I just say this, when your idol is identified, the big test is this. Okay, so that's an idol of my heart. Am, am I okay without that? What if that thing was removed? Right? What, if I, what if I don't have that thing? Or what if I give that thing up? Is it really an idol? And that's where you test whether it's good or bad. If you can give it up, if you're not angry whether you get it or not, it's, it's certainly not an idol in your life. But God knows our idols. So not only asking other people, but really asking the Lord might be a, a good thing to do to try to find out where your, your idols are, the idols that are causing you to sin. Psalm 139 is a great psalm that, that thinks about this. It, it begins and ends with the same theme about God searching us. It, it, it begins in Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. David just acknowledges that God knows us. And, and then David goes on to continue to speak about how God knows when we sit down and where we rise. God knows our thoughts. God knows what we will say even before we say it. That God is with us wherever we are, at work, at church, at home, while on vacation in the Bahamas. God is there. You cannot flee the presence of God. God made us from our womb. And even from the beginning of the making us in the womb, He knew our days. He had written them down before there was as yet one of them. God knows all about our heart. And so... David finishes that psalm with this prayer that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He says, See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just pleading with God that God would expose his heart, search me, know my heart, and show me if there's wrong ways there. That, that's how you're going to see and understand the idols of your heart. Seek them. And then when you, when you find them, turn from them. In fact, that's Ezekiel's message he gave the elders. If you look again back to Ezekiel chapter 14, he basically says, right, after you, God knows our idols. The command is there to repent from your idols. Verse, verse 6, it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all of your abominations. 
for any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates from me himself from me and taking idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face. And yet comes to a prophet to consult through him. I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. And I'll make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. In other words, right? If you do these things, if you have idols in your heart, and they have separated you from God, and you have walked in your sin, stirred by that way, and you come before the Lord, God, it's pretty bad. He says he's going to um, set my face against that man, verse 8. Cut him off from the midst of my people. There's the judgment that comes. If we think that we're going to come to God, right, fully delighting and satisfying in the idols of our heart. We separate from God. We make a stumbling block. And so I, I just say, right, repent and turn. And I would say this. There's a difference between the one who has an idol in a heart and like cherishes that idol and really loves that idol and does not want to give that idol up. As opposed to the one whose idol comes into his heart and he hates it and he's trying to get rid of it and trying to turn it, it just it's it just sort of there all the time and can't quite get rid of it. There's a total difference in the perspective there, right? When you come to God and you say, "Yes, I have these idols and search me and I want to get rid of them," that's the the way to come. But if you harbor that in your heart, it's it's not going to be good. The judgment comes, and, and this this is admittedly hard. John Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We make idols from our heart every bit as fast as Chrysler makes cars on their assembly line. Just this factory of all these things working together, churning away, and our heart churns away idols, idols, because we have desires and we want things. And God has made us to want things. God has made us to want Him Instead, we want things, we want stuff, we want people. Our hearts are these idol factories, always creating idols in our lives. And, and, and the result of that is, is not good. We'll be cut off from people, will be judgment, verse 10 even, and they shall bear their punishment. <clears throat> the punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the acquirer shall be alike. Yet the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with their transgressions. In other words, right, if God cuts you off and, and destroys you, right, you're not, you're not going to commit idols anymore, idolatry anymore, because you're going to be done. Whether it's discipline in this age or judgment in the age to come, and the only way to escape that is, is Jesus. He, I mean, even we see here, right, that, that the end result, and God always, right, is giving a message of hope. This isn't a message of doom and gloom. It's, it's more a message that God knows your idols, so don't hide from them and, and be open with them with God and repent and turn from them. And when you're dealing with your sin, deal with the idols of your heart, right, the, the sin beneath the sin in order to be there. And then and God always gives hope, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. That's the great refrain at the end of Revelation, that when God comes and dwells with us, He is our God and we are His people and there's this happy unity. Because we're worshiping Him, we're not worshiping our idols. And of course, that comes through Jesus. And so I just even think about Paul as he spoke to those in Athens um, 
You remember how he, he concluded his message? He concluded his message with a, a message of condemnation and, and judgment, and yet hope in Jesus as well. He says, verse 30 of Acts chapter 17, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent of the idols of the heart. Repent of the the sinful ways. And God is declaring repentance because He's fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He's appointed. And of this He's given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. In other words, Jesus raising from the dead demonstrates that He is the one who's going to come and judge the living and the dead. And we either turn to the Lord and repent and and trust in Christ or we hold on to our idols and keep them and hold them until our dying day. Really, I think right here, even this this issue here is is the dividing line between believers and non-believers, right? The non-believers cherish their idols. They're not going to let God have any of those. But the believer says, reluctantly in pain and tears, opens up and and says, God, search me, know me. You know where I am. I, I'm broken. Right? And all of us here in this room, right, we're, we're not coming perfect. So open up your heart to the idols that God has. And turn from them and seek God's strength to turn from the idols of our heart. And realize we're, we're just like those in Athens. Right? We may think that we live in the 21st century. We're all good. We're pristine. We had no idols. Right? What's it talking about? That's not relevant to us. Oh, it's relevant to us. It's a call to every one of us to forsake our idols and to turn and trust in Jesus, who is both the judge and the Savior. He's both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I just would pray that we might put this category into our hearts and our minds to realize that status quo is, is not good enough. God, that you are never satisfied with people walking about as those who profess you and yet have idols in their heart. Here it is, these these elders coming to consult with you and to seek and commune with you and you reject them, you turn them away. I think of Jesus and the Pharisees. They had idols of self-righteousness. They had idols of acceptance and idols of approval that they fought long and hard for. And you turned them away. And because they came to you with bad hearts and wrong hearts, with misguided passions. And so, Lord, I would pray that you and your Spirit would convict us of our own idols. God, that we might not be like those who reject this message and say, no, I want my idols. Or, Or not even delay and just say, well, maybe I'll think about that next week. But that you would do some judgment day honesty heart work in in our lives that we might be like Dionysius the Areopagite and Damaris and and others who believed who saw the idols of our own heart and have seen that the only hope is in Jesus God so help us oh God with these things help us to to wage sin on the the heart level not the external level God to get to the root of our sin God, not, not just dealing with the fruit and picking off bad fruit, but getting to the root and nourishing the root. We're understanding where the, the cause of our sin comes from. So help us, O oh Lord. May we be uh, your people and may you be our God. 
May be reconciled to you in every way. God, it's all by your grace that that takes place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.